Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he has cleansed his, from all his old sins. Well, here Peter is, is kind of laying the foundation, having declared the causes of salvation and especially sanctification. He now begins to exhort us to give our minds to the true use of his grace. He begins with faith, without which nothing can please God. He warns us to have it fully equipped by virtue, good and godly manners, being joined with the knowledge of God's will, without which there is neither faith nor virtue. We'll be looking at the next section in Luke chapter 1, uh, where Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth and, what is, and the song that, uh, that she is here quoted as, as singing or, or saying the Magnificat. Before we go to that text, please join your heads and, and hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us on this second Sunday of Advent as we consider Mary's visit to Elizabeth. Help us in our weakness. Fortify our understanding. By your word and by your spirit, strengthen our souls that we would praise you from the depths of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word, Luke Chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her, from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, So the theme of our, of our message this morning is that Mary responds to God with both action and praise. Last week, you may recall that in the scripture reading, we started with Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and through 25, that text describes Zechariah's visit by Gabriel. Gabriel visited Zechariah while he was working in the temple. And he was discharging his duties there faithfully. And you'll recall that when, when he asked, that is, Zechariah asked Gabriel, how can I be sure of what you're telling me? Because Gabriel had just said that he would be a dad, that Elizabeth would bear a son. How can I be sure of this? Gabriel's response, and now you will be silent. Then we followed in the message last week that Luke's changed, Luke changed the scene. He didn't remain with, with Elizabeth and with Zechariah. He moved where Gabriel moved. And where did Gabriel move? Gabriel moved to make an announcement, an incredible announcement to Mary. And the four-part message that we looked at last week was, one, he announces to Mary that, that she will be with child though she has not been with a man. Wow. And that she is to name her son Jesus because he is the promised Messiah. Again, these are mind-boggling revelations to Mary. Third, that her much older cousin, you might recall that her cousin is probably about, you know, old enough to be Mary's grandmother, her much older cousin Elizabeth is with child. Again, what an incredible surprise. And then fourthly, that God would be providing and protecting and blessing her throughout her pregnancy and through her life as she raised this baby Jesus into a man. That's, the, that's that notion of overshadowing, that active care that God provides and promised to Mary through Gabriel. So this morning, the scene is going to shift back to, uh, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but Mary will be, will be folded into the story. And at this point, Elizabeth is five months pregnant, and Zechariah has not spoken for five months. 
five months of no speech. So we, we pick up the story, just before we pick up the story in, in verse 39, I would like to share with you two pieces of context that I think might help us to, to, to draw ourselves into the text of it. And the first is, we read the specific dialogue between Mary and Elizabeth. In fact, Elizabeth is quoted first. What exactly did Elizabeth say when Mary showed up at her door? What did Mary say in response? And what I'd like to do is to have us pan out a little bit and and get some context for what's going on here. Luke was writing Luke chapter 1 in about 63 AD. He is recording faithfully what happened over 60 years earlier. And to the best of our knowledge, he wasn't there. So how can, we, how can we put our minds around how Luke might know these things? Well, the best answer that, that I've come across, that I've adopted as my own, is indeed that it's the same answer that we would have today in 2023 if we were looking backward in time to something that had happened historically 60 years ago. So most of you have heard of the Cuban Missile Crisis. What happened behind the scenes in the conversations that that most of the world knew nothing about? How would we learn what happened behind the scenes? Eyewitness testimony. That would be our only way of finding those things out. And again, we think that Luke, either by conversation with Mary or another eyewitness of this conversation, came to know what was said between these two women. So an incredible piece of context, but an important piece of context because Luke is here speaking uh, the very inspired words of God. This is an inspired text. The second piece of context that I think is important and it might be a little fun to, to imagine here is that what's the very first thing that we are confronted with in verse 39? Immediately after Gabriel leaves Mary... In those days, Mary arose and with haste and, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Well, that's just, that sounds interesting. You know, she went with haste. She went with haste to a location 90 miles away without modern transportation. That's a four-day journey if she's walking or riding a donkey, this is, this is as though we were to launch off in haste from our homes or even from here to Bay City if we went northeast or Toledo, Ohio if we went south. We would prepare, we'd pack food, we'd pack water, we'd whatever we were going to pack with us and then we would launch off on a four-day, 90-mile journey. I want us to pause there for a minute. That's a piece of context that we don't live with very much these days. So, and and I do think that there's, there's another detail about this trip that we are not informed about. It's not important for us to know. Did Mary travel alone? Likely she did, she did not. But we don't know the means of travel and we don't know who went with her possibly. But we do know that she traveled uh, from her home to visit Elizabeth. 
Now from verse, as we pick up the dialogue in verse 39, we do see that Mary didn't delay or waste any time. And the text says that at this time, Mary got ready and hurried. Her response to what she was told by the angel Gabriel was right away. So in that regard, I know that I too can improve on my readiness and willingness to act right away when that time comes. How many of us will put something on a list to be done later and later doesn't seem to come? It doesn't come later in the day. It doesn't come later in the week. It might not even come later in the month. And yet, we're called to be faithful. So let's be cautious. I'm, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself as much as to any of you to whom this applies. When we have something to do, we should go about and do it and get it done. Then as we move on to verses 41 to 45, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. So here, again, let's put ourselves into that setting. As you see on TV sometimes, sometimes you'll see you know, a, a bird's eye view of a dialogue that's going on. Let's put ourselves into that for a moment. If we put ourselves into that, that exchange, there are two ways that we can think about this greeting, and I'll share with you which is my perspective. One way might be Mary walks in the door and she says, hey, Cousin Elizabeth, guess who? And that's the greeting. You know, that might be how we greet one another if we come into one another, our, our homes. But I think that more likely than that, Luke has, has given us the short version he hasn't specifically quoted all that Mary said, but I favor the understanding that Mary showed up at Elizabeth's door and explained that she just days before, maybe a week before, had been visited by the angel Gabriel. And this is all the angel Gabriel had told me. I'm going to have a baby, yet I haven't been with a man my baby is to be named Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. God is going to overshadow and protect me. And oh, by the way, Elizabeth, he told me that you're expecting. And remember from earlier in, in Luke, we saw that that was not common knowledge, and it was certainly not common knowledge from a location 90 miles away. So, I favor this extended explanation because that would explain why, why and how Elizabeth was so excited and the words that followed from Elizabeth. Elizabeth just wasn't pleased and content and quietly excited or happy to have Mary there. Elizabeth was exuberant. She was enthusiastic and downright excited about Mary's arrival, I think for all the reasons that she's about to now say. In fact, she was so excited that the baby jumped uh, in, her, in her womb. In Elizabeth's excitement and filling with the Spirit, she calls Mary blessed. Why? Because Mary believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. How incredible would it be for Elizabeth now miraculously carrying her first baby to learn that her much younger cousin would soon give birth to the Messiah. Wow. 
To say that Mary was blessed is, is really just an understatement. Then what follows? What follows Elizabeth's uh, response to the story is that Mary is here sharing words that, are, that really reflect her deepest thoughts in the form of a poem, in the form of a statement, in the form of a song. And it certainly follows the pattern, if, as you look at the Magnificat, this text that Mary spoke, it follows the pattern of the two scripture references that we looked at this morning. Psalm 34 and 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's, uh, Hannah's song, when she was told of the impending birth of, of Samuel. The influence on the Old Test, of the Old Testament on Mary seems to be profound. And also, as I was contemplating how Mary would put this together, this was, this was a lot to say in just a few words. I can easily picture that Mary, on her four-day, maybe five-day travels, here she is, walking, thinking, looking at the scenery, praising God for this revelation that's still fresh, she's still aglow for, that this is what she was thinking about. What will I say to my cousin Elizabeth? What will capture the essence and the heart of what I am experiencing? How can I communicate that? Now again, pulling out of, the, out of the context of the text for a moment, here's a bit of music trivia. This year, 2023, marks the 400th anniversary of Bach's Magnificat. Bach put these very words to song using the Latin text in his very first large choral work when he was transferred and took the post in Leipzig. So in addition to that. So Bach Magnificat is sort of like uh, Handel's Messiah. It's one of the cornerstone large choral pieces for the Advent season, 400 years ago today. In addition, there are at least 25 other composers, musical settings for the Magnificat, including one by Rachmaninoff and another by Ralph Vaughan Williams. So they're not just... Um, they're not just Reformation-era times. They're contemporary pieces of music that have embraced and loved and put these words to song. So uh, this, has, this has affected brothers and sisters in, in Christ for thousands of years in a, in a deep and important way. I would suggest this afternoon or this week, if you have a moment, take a look at Psalm 34. Open to 1 Samuel 2. Open to the Magnificat and compare and contrast the thinking that goes along there. I was blessed when I did that. Uh, I hope you will be too. So now let's get into the text of the Magnificat. So Mary here reveals her deep faith and awe at all that God has done, including choosing her. This is not just lip service. This is not superficial. This is not, I've been blessed. This is not, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's anything but that. She expresses in a few words her deep love and appreciation and devotion to God and thankfulness. 
you'll see that the structure of these verses uh, used what we find very often in the Old Testament, a Hebrew parallelism. Um, you'll see that a lot in Psalms and Proverbs. Look at the text of, of verses 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. As I was looking through some of the, some of the great thinkers, theological thinkers of our time, I ran across uh, R.C. Sproul, and, and Sproul's characterization of what Mary is trying to express here is as a Cinderella story. There's a parallel to Mary, who is a little-known peasant girl betrothed to be married, who in a matter of just a week, her life had been changed, and the lives of the world changed forever by this announcement. You know, talk about an ultimate rags-to-riches story, not unlike Cinderella. Um, there, are some, there are some interesting parallels that Cinderella takes from this story, I would say. Uh, and by the way, Cinderella is, is, came 1,600 years later in France. So uh, this, this, uh, this dialogue, this text certainly comes first. Mary then describes herself as the humble state of of my servant. Mary realizes that God chose her despite her humble state. She rejoiced that he had chosen her, further realizing that future generations would remember her and reflect a certain fullness of understanding that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Here, even as a Jewish peasant girl, she was fully aware that the promised Messiah would be coming at some point in the future. As we then move into the Magnificat a bit more, verses 49 and 50, Mary focuses on God's attributes. Who is this God who I'm thankful and giving praise to? He is God all-powerful. He is mighty. And of all the people in the world, he chose me. Second, this God is holy. He, if this presupposes holiness, presupposes that God is a personal God, not an impersonal force who will never hold you accountable for your behavior, but holiness has much more to do with, is, is an attribute of God, but is in fact who God is. The best theologians uh, say both of those things are true. And thirdly, that God grants mercy to those who fear him. And now here, Mary is saying of herself that she fears God. And what we should come to understand about that fear is that she gives God respect, regards him with awe and admiration. That's the nature of this fear, not a cowering fear of punishment but rather one of respect and awe and admiration. Our New Testament reading this morning from Romans 9 expands on this notion a bit, referring to God's words to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Next comes a beautiful picture in verse 1, verse 51 rather, of of God, and he has shown strength 
with his arm. So here's, the, here's that long, that SAT word, anthropomorphize, anthropomorphism. We are attributing to, to God, who doesn't have this or this, we are attributing him an arm. What does that mean? Well, both Moses and Isaiah use this word picture powerfully in, in texts attributed to them. In Numbers 11.23, we read, And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand, is Jehovah's hand, shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So here, God is, God is not limited in his power and in his will, is the notion here that we see in Numbers 20, 11. In Isaiah 52.10, we read that the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Again, power, grace, mercy, delivered by the hand of the Lord. Here, Mary picks up on that word picture, which made an impression to her over her 14 years of life, maybe. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. A a powerful picture, and one derived from Scripture as well. Then Mary does what we are all instructed to do as we pray and as we consider gathering for worship in our individual worship in our homes. She remembers what God has done for his people. In this case, pointing all the way back to Abraham and Israel. Her reasoning, God has showed his love to our faithful ancestors. He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised, that's right. This ties closely with our approach to Advent, where we, rem- where we prepare and anticipate celebrating the birth of Christ at Christmas. How do we do that? By remembering, by looking back. So that, that rear view mirror look is so important as we look forward to the celebration and Advent. And then as we're going to see this week and next week, Luke abruptly stops this scene, appropriately. I I love that he does this. And Mary remained with her, that is with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Mary didn't just come to deliver a message. Mary came to deliver that incredible message and to be a help to her cousin, who was in need of help. Remember, she was... She hadn't gotten help from a lot of different people. She hadn't even revealed the fact that she was expecting. And now Mary was here, who had strength, who had the benefit of youth, who had been raised properly. Here she was there to help, to pitch in, to help through this time of of pregnancy. What an incredible blessing to Elizabeth this mother's helper was. So now as we, as we move from this text to application, I would like to make, unlike last week where, where I, I brought up five or six points of application, I'd like to make exactly one point of application. 
And the point of application I'd suggest to us today is that we each be intentional. That we be intentional. And let me give you two categories of that intentional action that I, I propose today. If the, if the rhythm of your life day to day is similar, whether you're a retiree or an employee or a homemaker or a student, reconsider whether you could squeeze out, out of your 24-hour day, one of two things. Are you in a place where you can carve out a piece of time and slow down and pause and consider a bit more than you normally do what you're reading in the scriptures that day, in your daily devotional, what you pray for that day and who you pray and how you pray. Pray more in depth for an individual. Care for someone by petitioning God for them. Maybe you'll see that one of these scriptures or another has grabbed your heart and you want it to be a part of your life and so you spend time memorizing that scripture. Some will proclaim to others because you're normally quiet. You'll actually share what you're thinking with someone else and be a blessing to them because you've considered it, thought about it, and you've paused and you've slowed, slowed down. You were intentional. You did it on purpose. You didn't just go through the day. At a different part in my life, I spent a fair amount of my work life on airplanes as a passenger, not as a pilot. And as a passenger, one of the things that I learned to do was I learned that, especially before the internet was available, I had time that was quiet. I had a fold-down table, something to write on, something to write with, and that was it. I didn't have the distractions or the meetings or the chores or the, tra or the other travel in my mind. That was a time for me to pause. It was a time for me to reflect. It was a time for me to do these kinds of things. I would encourage you to be intentional and pause this week. Secondly, that might not be how you're wired or that might, that might be foreign to you. That might be something you can do or can't do. But secondly, be intentional about taking initiative. An entirely another set of characteristics where be generous by actually listening to someone who's speaking to you, not just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Help someone who is in need. Maybe you know someone who needs their leaves raked or a repair done on their home or their car or a meal made for them. Maybe you know of someone who needs encouragement in their faith. Take the initiative. Don't just keep doing what you're doing, but having been intentional, having considered, at, you've slowed down, you've prayed for someone, you recognize a need that you might be able to meet. Do something about it. We see that Mary did both of these things. The Magnificat didn't just roll off Mary's tongue. She spent time thinking about that. Possibly, you know, in her, it wasn't just the 15 minutes in, that I was sitting waiting for the plane to take off. It was four days of walking. She had a lot of think time. Um, do both of those things. 
So in summary, on this second day, and if you ever need to know which day of Advent it is, you'll see these two, these two candles are lit. This is the second day of Advent of four Sundays. We follow the life story of Mary as she traveled to her cousin Elizabeth immediately after her visit from the angel Gabriel. And their exchange in the first hour of her arrival there has been preserved for us in detail in Luke's Gospel. And it's an important part of Christian worship for almost two millennia. So may we each be blessed as we consider its lessons for us today and in the coming weeks. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the warm and beautiful picture of Mary, her faith, her understanding of the covenants, her agape love in action as she traveled to visit Elizabeth and care for her. As we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we pray that you would each bless, that you would bless each of us with quiet moments to reflect on you and your mighty works from creation through the incarnation, that we might praise you and serve you with the life you've given us. Bless each one of us as we contemplate these truths during the Advent season. And we sing as he talks. chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. He, in the days of his flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. In this season of Advent, we are looking forward to Christ's incarnation, his coming to earth to dwell with his people, and ultimately his death on the cross in our place. As our head, glorified and reigning in heaven, he has given us the template to follow as his people here on earth, lives characterized by prayer, supplications, and obedience to the Father's will. As we eat this meal before us, it pictures for us our unity with our great high priest, who is interceding for us in heaven forever, united to his body and poured out blood in death and raised together with him as the source of our salvation. Let us then eat this meal with thanksgiving to our perfect, for our perfect Savior, our great high priest, the ever-living and reigning one, Jesus Christ. We invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church, by eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, 
ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings. Blessings.